The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Yeah, Aaron. I forget his name, but the theologian from the Princess Bride movie, the guy, the bald guy that was always betting people and saying, that's inconceivable is the theme of what we're talking about today. It's inconceivable, it's unimaginable, it's unbelievable that this way of Jesus, which we read about in the book of Acts, it starts in the book of Acts, has found its way all the way around the planet to the other side of the world, to Southern California, Temecula, that there's a church here. And we talk about us being a church. The analogy I like to use all the time is that we're not so much a church as we are an outpost of God's kingdom because Jesus did not come here to start another religion. He said his first message was the kingdom of God is here. He said it's going to take over the whole world. And nobody believed him at the beginning. It was kind of this crazy thought. And here we are 2,022 years later as just one of the many millions of kingdom outposts all over the planet uh, taking the good news of Jesus, getting people out of darkness into light to bring the, the light into the darkness overcome. And once a year, we gather as a church to talk about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. In your program today is this little booklet brochure. Take it out right now. All you should have it. It's called Vision 22. It's a declassified document that we found out there. Uh, and really, it's just a look back. It's a look back to where we've been, has an idea where, where we are. And then the big call this year is, come on. Let's go. God has some things for us to do. Let's, let's get on with it. Let's get going with it. Thank you, Victor. Appreciate that. Uh, come on, let's go. We're going to talk to you about that. Uh, we want all of you to be here that weekend. It will not be an infomercial business meeting. It's to cast vision for, here we are. We're like in Acts, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We're like Acts 29. And Acts 30, Acts 31, the good news of Jesus is still going out long after the book of Acts closes. We're going to talk about that. There is a bit of business we have to do that day when it has to do with our budget and our elders and stuff like that. And you have to vote on it that day. It's a bit of business we'll do there. If you have questions about anything that's in here, about the budget, about our leadership team, elders, all that, you can email us and we'll get back to you. We will not do a whole Q&A business meeting, boring thing that everybody hates. So... Uh, we won't be doing that that day. We're just casting vision, what's coming next, what's coming ahead for us. Be here March 5th and 6th. You might have a vacation planned that day. Cancel it. Reschedule it. Be here. It's going to be a great day for us to be together on March 5th and 6th. The inconceivable message of, of the Bible. We find it here now. Uh, Aaron just read for us an excerpt from a message that Paul gave at a place called Antioch. Let's take a look at it. Acts 13. We're going to rewind back and see how they got to this gathering in Antioch. Acts 13. Look at verse, verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them. He was a guy who had been part of their group. And returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Some things to know now today about where we're at. Uh, first of all, here's a map of the world 
Over here, you see California, United States, right? Over here on the left side, on the best side of the country and the world, the left coast. Um, over here, the area we're talking about here, where they're at right now, is in the Middle East. It's today the nation of Turkey. Back then, it wasn't one whole huge nation. It was lots of different regions. We'll talk about that. But it's, it's uh, the nation of Turkey today. That's where... That's where we find ourselves today, and there's two groups of people here that, are, that I want to talk to today. You fall into one of two categories. Some of you that are here today are here at church on a weekend service, but you're not yet a follower of Christ. You're not yet a Christian. Talking to you today convince you to place your faith in Jesus. Here's this good news of Jesus, this unbelievable, inconceivably good news about Jesus Christ, and turn your life over to him. Some of you are, Christians, are not Christians yet, and you know it. Some of you think you're Christians because you live in America. I say you, you got it on you, you didn't get it in you yet. It got all kind of, it's kind of there in our, you can't help but get a bit of it on you. We're going to tell you, some of you need to go, hey, I need to get right with God today and recognize not a, anyway, we'll, ch we'll chat with you about that. And then uh, for those of us who are already followers of Christ Christians, I want to talk to you about what Paul does here to have a conversation with people who are brand new to Jesus, brand new to church, how you talk to somebody who doesn't get this stuff yet. Some of you remember days like that when you were brand new to faith and Jesus and spirituality. So the, here's the deal. To convince you to become a Christian and to help you have better conversations with people about Jesus and Christianity. That's the whole message in about a, a moment. Now let's take a look at what happens here. Um, these people are from, well, today is the modern-day nation of, of, of Turkey. Let, let's take a look at another, a, a map of times back then to get uh, a sense of it. Last week, uh, jo, uh, Pastor Rob talked to us about the, this city called Antioch. Over here is Antioch, over on the right side. You'll also see there's another city called Antioch over here in the middle. Uh, you're going, how come they... How come same names for different names, same names for different cities? Well, just like we have different names of cities in our culture, Washington, Washington D.C. Why, why is it called Washington? Because of George Washington, a major person. Same reason the Antioch cities. There's several of them in, over there at this time, named after a very famous Greek general called Antiochus. Antiochus, shortened to Antioch. They named their cities Antioch. Uh, they left the city of Antioch over here, uh, came down to the island of Cyprus, traveled throughout there, listened to the podcast, watch it, it's on our, on our website. Then they get over here by boat uh, to Perga and then travel inland to, to Antioch. Uh, you'll see up there that uh, there is this whole region is called Galatia. There's a book of your Bible called Galatians. Uh, Galatia is not a city, it's a region a bunch of cities, and the cities we're talking about here in the next few weeks uh, are going to be this city of Perga, Antioch of Pisidia. We're going to get to cities like Derba and Lystra and Iconium. All of them are in this region of Galatia. And you're asking me right now, why is it called Galatia? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Because the people of Gaul, G-A-U-L, came in there. They were this fierce, terrifying, savage, violent people the kind of this was their area. Now, later on, the Greeks and the Romans came in and settled some things down. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, in our country, 
In our world, you guys have discovered this last couple of years, it's kind of baked into our culture, into our cultural DNA, that we don't want anybody telling us what to do. That's probably none of you. <laughs> I know who you are. I've seen your social media feeds. Um, you know where that comes from? It comes from the fact that your sin is and rebels against God, number one. And number two, our country started here in America. You know how it started? You can't tell us what to do. That's just part of who we are. And so it's important to understand the background, the people and the place, before we look at the message that Paul's going to tell them, to understand the context they're in, because it's a very different context than what we're in today. In order to understand the, 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 the message in all of its fullness, we got, we got to understand it. The, the people of Gaul, Savage had all this kind of crazy spirituality and witchcraft and this really demonic kind of stuff. One thing I discovered this week, doing some research on these guys, the Gauls, when they would go fight wars, the men fought naked. Now, again, I'm not saying naked. It's not because they were exhibitionists or because of some weird sexual thing about them. They went out in the battlefield where other men had swords and spears trying to hurt you, and they didn't even wear armor. They didn't wear clothes. They went out there naked. That's a crazy kind of courage. A savage who says, hey, we'll fight you naked and we'll beat you. And that's kind of, that's baked into their culture. So this is, again, what's here now. And then what happens is some, things, some time goes by and Alexander the Great and the Greeks come in. After Alexander the Great comes in, then the Romans come in. Uh, and to give you some context for this, I read this guy this week. His name is Tom Holland. It's a great book for those of you who like to read and need to get off of your Netflix IV. Um, a great book to read or download list to called Tom Holland. It's called a book called Dominion. Tom Holland's not a Christian, not a follower of Christ. He's a fan of Christ, a fan of God. He's spiritual in some sense. Doesn't, he's not writing the book to convince anybody to be a Christian. But the premise of his book called Dominion is that Christianity, by you don't have to be a Christian to recognize this. He said, you'd be a lunatic delusional to not recognize that Christianity, the way of Jesus, has completely revolutionized, has turned the world upside down, sideways, and inside out. Changed everything. There's never been anything else like this in the history of the planet so far. And he writes not as a Christian trying to give it you to be Christians. He's just making the case for that. Uh, it'll be up here on the screen because you don't have the book in front of you. Here's some things he talks about about Antioch and Galatia. Antioch had been made a Roman colony by Caesar Augustus in 25 BC. Caesar Augustus was the Caesar over Rome when Jesus bursts on the scene and was the governing and military center of the southern half of the vast province of Galatia. All over the region, in every city, shrines, temples, the currency, pay homage to the Divi Filius. That word means, in the Latin, the Greek language, it means son of God. Divi, divine, Filius, son, son of God. But not talking about Jesus of Nazareth, talking about Caesar, that Caesar is a son of God, who by his exertions and his wisdom has ushered humanity into a golden age. Everywhere you would go in, in Galatia, in this whole region, everywhere you went all over the Roman Empire, shrines, temples were built there in honor of Caesar because the more you wanted Caesar, the more of Rome's money and more of Rome's resources came to you. So all over, they found this uh, uh, in, in inscriptions, in palaces and shrines, even on their money. Take a look at it. This is money from the first century. It has the picture of Caesar on it, and it's kind of hard to see, but these old words over here, divius, philus is what these words are, son of God. We, we, think, we hear son of God, and we think it's a Bible term. 
And it certainly is a Bible term. But before it was ever a Bible term about Jesus, Caesar was using it, the Roman Empire was using it to describe themselves and describe himself as the son of God who's ushered humanity into the golden age. They looked to honor Caesar as their savior and Lord. To visit the cities of Galatia was constantly to be reminded of the sheer scale of Augustus' achievements. His birth had set the order of things on a new course. War was over. The world stood as one here. So inscriptions proclaimed was, and here's the word for you, evangelion, also called the good news. Again, we have seen the word good news or the word gospel in our Bibles and thinks that, think that comes just, it's a Bible. It's, a, it's not a Bible religious term. It was used by the Roman Empire to not just say, hey, I got some good news for you, but this is good news to proclaim that through Divi Filius, the son of God, Caesar Augustus, they also called him their Lord and Savior. He has changed humanity. He's brought peace to the world. That's the people and the place that we come to that Paul shows up to one day coming from Antioch, uh, excuse me, coming uh, from Antioch to, through Cyprus and then up now to Pisidian Antioch in Galatia. This, you have to understand this because it, the story will make more sense for you today when you hear what he says and how he says it when he gets there. And Paul comes to a city where there's inscriptions and money that says Caesar is Lord and Savior. Caesar is Son of God, Divi Phileas, and has proclamations of the Evangelion, the good news of Caesar. There, there's a calendar here. I'm going to put the, I think we have a little picture of it here. They found an archaeology from the first century, and it's called the Evangelion of, Julie, of, of Caesar Augustus, that Caesar has changed the world. The word, the gospel of Caesar Augustus is right there, and Paul comes along and sees this stuff all over the city and goes, oh, I've got better news for you. And, and I'm not talking about a son of God. The son of God has come into the world, and he is indeed Lord and Savior. So these would have been terms familiar with both Jews and Gentiles as Paul shows up there in Rome. As he gathers these people together, well, let's see what happens here. Let's read. At the end of uh, verse 14, on the Sabbath... They went to the synagogue for the services. There was Jewish communities scattered throughout the whole Roman Empire. There would be synagogues there for them. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hands to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles... Here's where you got to see not just the message of Saul, Paul, in the Bible, but the methodology to know how you can have conversations with people about God and Jesus without getting all nervous and uptight and freaking out and thinking you're going to mess it up so you never say anything because what am I going to say? Paul goes here to, when he shows up here in Pisidian Antioch, and he does not go to the Roman shrines, to the Roman temples. He doesn't go to the mall, to the shopping center. He doesn't go to the bars. You know why he doesn't go there? because he knows nothing about those people. You know who he knows about? Jews. And people that are somewhat familiar with the Jewish faith, called the, we see them here, called God-fearing Gentiles. These are people that have said this Jewish faith and spirituality is just 
is so much better than this, all this Rome nonsense about these multiplicity of gods that are fighting and fornicating and do all this crazy stuff out there. This can't be who God is. And this idea of one true God who's holy and loving and amazing was so attractive. So a lot of Gentiles would kind of come around the edges and be curious about that. That's who's there that Paul addresses that day. And when it comes to us talking about Jesus with people, doing the simple thing of just saying, hey, come and check things out, write this down today. Who do you have in common? Paul starts with people he likes and people that are like him. And certainly we want, it. we want to tell everybody, hey, we want everybody here. But your likelihood, my likelihood of going down to Ocean Beach, where Mark Porter, who has spoken here a bunch of times, who is, did all kinds of drugs, who went to prison multiple times, the likelihood of me going down there and being successful down there with those folks, they look at me and go, what are you doing here? I have nothing in common with them. You, you start with people you, who you know, people that are like you and, and you like, um, and what you, what you notice here, when Paul and Barnabas go here, they walk into this synagogue for a, a gathering, and they're invited to speak, which might be a good thing for maybe five or six of you here today. Before you just start shooting your mouth off and start telling people what they're wrong and right about, how about you wait for an invitation? Write, write it down this way. Get or create permission or an invitation to speak. They don't go in there and just start blaring away about how Jewish faith has missed it all up and jacked it all up and that Jesus is the only way and you guys are wrong, you reject him. They start off with just sitting there and getting permission. And back then, in synagogues, there was the guy who was the head of the synagogue, the priest, the pastor, whatever they called him back then, not sure. And his job was not to be the only one that got up there and spoke every week. He would oftentimes have other people in the synagogue. He would say, hey, hey, why don't you come speak next weekend? Evan, why don't you come? Foster, whoever, would come up here and speak. And then once in a while, because they were at a, a, a major juncture there, a major city, they would have people visiting from out of the area, and they thought, huh, this guy's from Israel. We find out by talking about Paul that he was schooled, went to school in the school of Gamaliel, the leading rabbi school today. It'd be like being from Harvard or Stanford today. Like you got educated, they're like, dude, we should talk to, we, let, let, let's have this guy come and speak. He probably has something to say. So they invite him to speak, and Paul quiets them all down and says, hey, I have some things in common with you guys. You're my brothers and sisters here. And then he starts off with his message. Look at verse 17. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful army, led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. People listening that day would have gone, yada, yada, yada. We've known this been in Sunday school, Saturday school, sorry for Jews, our whole lives. We know the whole deal here. He keeps going. After that, God gave him judges, the book of Judges in your Bible, Judges, to, to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. That's 1st, 2nd Samuel. Uh, then the people begged for a king, 1st, 2nd Kings and Chronicles. And, uh, and God gave them Saul, a son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. This is where... Let me rewind a bit. The way of Jesus and Christianity has some very distinctive things about it that are very, very different, that, that sets us apart completely different from every other world religion, philosophy, and spirituality. There are some categorical, black and white, right and wrong differences between us 
and Judaism, between us and Mormonism, between us and Hinduism, between us and Muslims. There's some key differences here. But you see what Paul does here? He does not start with the differences. He finds common ground with people. So the, the question here is, uh, second question when it comes to a strategy for talking with people is don't start with the differences. Start with what do you have in common? What do you have in common with these folks? And start there with them. Some of you are filling these blanks in way ahead of me. I know you're smarter than I am. Um, and, then, and then he starts with their story. Question two and three kind of go together. Before he starts telling the story of Jesus and Christianity, he starts with their story. So the third question is, what's their story? Not what's your story. Not what's your agenda. What's their story? And he goes and takes them through the story they all would have known, yeah, we've heard this forever, yeah, about Saul and David and the judges and Exodus and Moses and Abraham. We, we know all this. It starts with what they have in common. Paul does this very differently here in a synagogue in Antioch than he does three chapters later in Acts chapter 17 when he's on Mars Hill in Athens. He does not start off talking about Abraham and Moses. And they would have looked at him and gone, what are you talking about? We're Greeks. We, he always starts with something he can build something in common with, and he starts with their story. Uh, I wonder today, you're having a chance this week in your groups, for those of you who are in groups, for those of you who are not in groups, still do the homework that's inside your note sheet that's called Intersect. It's three or four questions there, help you follow up on this. But I wonder, what's your story? What's your story as your spiritual background? Super important to get a chance to talk about that this week. Some of us, we're raised in church. Born to Christian families, raised in church. That's your story. That's your deal. Nothing wrong with that. That's who you are. Some of us were kind of raised into a church background, but then for a while, we walked away, usually during our late high school and college years, because it was more fun to not be a Christian then. That's if we're just honest about that. There's some difficult stuff about being a Christian in those years. Uh, now, you pay the price for it later when your whole it's a rant for a different day. Um, and then what happens is, this happens all the time out here in this Temecula Valley. I've seen it happen now for 18 years. What happens, people walk away, they find somebody, they get married, they have a child and go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, hold on a second here. We got to get to church because we need some help and we have a child we have to do. What are we going to do here? Sometimes you'll come back to church that way because you walked away for a while. Sometimes people have been hurt by church. Hurt by church leadership, hurt by things, how things were done or taught or said. Um, some of us are part of weird churches. We go, whatever. Whether it's Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Mormon, you've just raised in a thing that was like, dude, this was funky, crazy, weird. And then you came back and came, came later to find out maybe there's something there you want to find out about in terms of God and spirituality. Some of us were raised in situations where God, church, and Jesus, we were completely unaware we knew nothing about God, Bible, Jesus Christ. I mean, hey, Christmas, you know, when Jesus and the Easter, when the Easter bunny walked out of the tomb and saw his shadow and passed out jelly beans, and what's the cross? We knew nothing about it. We were, for all intents and purposes, whether we call ourselves atheists or not, we probably just functioned like atheists. We didn't really have real faith in God or anything, any kind of spiritual background at all. Uh, some of our background of the people you're going to bump into here in our Temecula Meta Valley, are, are the phrase I've coined, it's called, you do you, boo. Your truth is your truth. Live your truth, speak your truth. 
No such thing as really right and wrong. Just everybody just does. What may, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. And who's the guy that had the song, Happiness is the Truth? Dance along with me. And it feels good. That's the hymns of our culture right now today. It's whatever makes you happy. So just, yeah, the differences don't matter that much. Some of us uh, uh, conservative in our background. Some of us liberal in our background. Some of us into new age spirituality. I've seen a lot of that more recently with people with crystals and rocks and incense and all kinds of crazy stuff out there. Everybody's got a story. So he starts with their story. Doesn't start with his story. Quick thing, going to just blow your minds here today, here at church, here at what, 1040 on a Sunday morning. The only way to know somebody's story is to listen to it. Before you start going out and ranting and raving about the political thing or about the mask mandate or the what, just talk to people and hear their story. If you're ever going to have influence, you have to know their story. But in every place that you'll see it in the Bible, especially in this book of Acts, no matter what the starting point was with uh, who do you have in common, what do you have in common, what's their story, that fourth question is the one that Paul, Peter, James, John are always going to get to. The fourth question is not what's their story, but what's the story? What's the story? See, guys, I want to tell you today, this Bible, some of you is going to blow your minds a little bit. Uh, This Bible... Um, is, is not just a book of morals and it's not just a guidebook for life. It will certainly do that, but if that's all you get out of it, you'll miss it. You'll have a great life now and miss Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you miss the whole thing is what Paul's going to tell us here in this story here. And he's going to tell us about stuff that really happened in real places and times. It's not mythology and just theology and philosophy. It's stuff that really happened. Here's the core of the message. Look at verse 23. Talked about all these kings and King David. Verse 23. And it's one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who was God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he's coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you... Sons and daughters of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. You know what he just said there? For thousands of years, things have been happening. You know where it's found its fulfillment? Right here, right now, it's been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath in all the synagogues and all that. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies had said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. He was dead, gone, not mostly dead, all the way dead, buried in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and over a period of many days, he appeared. It didn't just... He didn't just, this is a crazy theology that you're hearing in a lot of churches and spirituality today. That doesn't matter that Jesus raised from the dead. It just matters that he raises in your heart, that you just feel him in your heart and soul. That's a load of what you just said. There's no way he just raises in our heart. It happened in real space, in real time. Uh, he appeared to those who had gone with him. People actually saw him alive afterwards from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this Good news. 
Remember that word, euangelion, that's all over their cities about the good news of Caesar and that Caesar is Lord and Savior? He just says, no, Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's not a son of God. He's the son of God. And this is the ultimate euangelion, the ultimate good news for you. It's fascinating that in this story, as the way of Jesus first goes out, I wonder today, does anybody here today have a cross, necklace, tattoo, earrings, anything, anybody? A few of you do, right? You know why you have that? Because you've never seen a crucifixion. You know, for the first three to 400 years of the way of Jesus, they didn't, the crosses were nowhere to be found in any religious places. You know why? Because the cross was ugly, nasty, gross, disgusting. If you saw Passion of the Christ, you would go, that's psychotic word. You put a cross up in a church and you know what's fascinating here, that even in Paul's message, if I'm doing it, trying to convince these people who have all seen crucifixions to come follow this Jesus, you would not talk about a cross and being crucified. You would talk about how he died a difficult death, but he was raised from the dead. Hooray, the resurrection and all that kind of stuff. Paul, Paul doesn't minimize the cross. He makes it front and center. Listen to this guy, uh, Tom Holland, from this book, Dominion. Another thing he says here about the cross. In every town in Galatia, in every square, statues of Caesar served as a reminder to his subjects that to rank as the son of a god, Divi Filius, was by definition to embody earthly greatness. No wonder then that Paul, proclaiming to the Galatians that there was only one son of God, and that he had suffered the death of a slave, not struggling against it, but submitting willingly to the lash, should have described the cross as a scandal. The word like, this is gross and disgusting word, and yet he doesn't hide from it. Because this is what, this is where Christianity reverses everything, turns the whole world upside down. And he says, hey, look, your Bibles have been telling you about this. He continues in his message here. The promise was made, look at verse 32, the end of it. Promise was made for our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. He's talking and he's quoting back from stuff they've read about in their Bibles, songs they sang when they would gather together. You are my son, today I become your father. That was written thousands of years before Jesus as a song. Everybody goes, what is that even talking about? You know, what Paul is telling us here is, Jesus did not, Jesus was the Son of God, but nobody recognized him as the Son of God publicly until he rose from the dead. And the resurrection was the validation of the claim that I am the Son of God, not a Son of God, not just one of many, I am the one and only Son of God. He said that, that was confirmed to the world through the resurrection. For God promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, even though David was the Holy One, the King of Israel. Everybody thought he's writing about himself. Paul says it could be about David. Look what he says here. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his own ancestors, and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. He was seen alive again. We are eyewitnesses to all this. And then we get to the pinnacle point. Everything he's been going there with, who do you have in common? What do you have in common? What's their story? Now what's the story? 
The story is of Jesus of Nazareth who lived and died and rose again. And if you're sitting there today, you'd be going, so what? I'm glad you asked. Here's the so what right here. Brothers and sisters, verse 38, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, highlight, circle, underline in your Bibles, this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone, underline, circle that one as well, who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. He says, don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. You'll see the heading here on this little part of the note sheet is unblankety blank blank believable. In words you wouldn't say at church unless you were brand new to this going, there's no way, there's no blankety blank way that could be true. And the gospel, this evangelion, this gospel good news of Jesus is both wow and a warning. It's the wow of the exclusive nature of the Son of God has come. Not Divi Phileas, a Son of God, but the Son of God has come. And it's the exclusive claims of the way of Jesus, that there is no salvation in anyone else. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4.12 says, salvation can be found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. It's a very exclusive, very radical claim. This is the big difference that Jesus says here. But it's both an exclusive claim, but then it's an inclusive invitation to say, look at verse 39, the first word there, everyone. Doesn't matter what your background, doesn't matter what your story has been. Atheist, New Age, Paul goes, Look, I killed Christians and now I am one. Craziness that it's for everybody this, this extraordinary good news of the gospel. Um, you guys know the name Joe Rogan out there? Joe, everybody knows, yeah, Joe Rogan, yeah, the guy who gets himself in trouble all the time for shooting his mouth off. Uh, Jordan Peterson, some of you might recognize that name. Jordan Peterson's a kind of a famous cultural critic, philosopher, uh, that kind of stuff. Joe Rogan was interviewing Jordan Peterson one day on his show. I just found it this week. I don't know that Jordan Peterson is yet a Christian. I think he's on a journey like all of us are, so I'm not going to tell you that Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan. I have no idea what their background is. But Jordan Peterson uses the scriptures and the Bible all the time to tell us that as Western civilization, we have lost our minds with what's going on here. And at one point he talks about this whole story of the gospel, the good, this idea of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in the podcast, he pauses a moment, he says, look, it's either crazy or it's true. There's no middle ground with it. And what I want to tell you today is, you know what I think it is? I think it's both. I think it's crazy true. Only God could have done something like this. No human being could ever have imagined that you would send yourself into the world to be humiliated and killed and crucified on a cross and rise again three days later and put nobody would have nobody you couldn't make this stuff up here's the good news and and paul's going to tell us that not even the bible could help you get right with god when he says the law of moses could never help you get right with god today he would say you you people that have your bibles on mobile devices or the paper bible here with you this bible cannot get you right with god you know that the Bible's going to tell you how to get right with God, but it can't. You, by obeying the rules and the laws, the whole suck it up, buttercup measure, you know, self-discipline and just try harder, be harder, and hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad is a load of nonsense. The only way you get right with God is through Jesus. And I'm going to put it up here on the screen. It's in a box 
on your note sheet. You might want to get your phones out and take a picture because I want you to be embedded like a splinter that's never coming out of your mind. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. The euangelion of the world. Jesus lived and died in our place for our sin and rose again with real power for new life. I'll say it again in case you missed it the first time. Jesus lived and died in our place, in your place, for your sin, and he rose again with real power for new life. Here's the deal. Here's what this means. This means that you can't make yourself right with God. You cannot do it. You cannot do enough good deeds to score the deal with you, but the good news is you don't have to. It's an impossible task. You'll never get there to be good enough to square the deal with God. But 2,000 years ago, the judge of the universe, God the Father, banged his gavel on humanity and said, you're all guilty before me. And the, the punishment is eternal separation from me. And then the Son of God comes into our world and says, I'll take the sentence. And he endures the wrath and judgment of a holy, all-powerful, unfathomably great God, takes your sentence for your sin. And then, here's what's the beautiful news about all this stuff, that when you place your faith in Christ, you get the great exchange. That your sin record, whether it's full of rebellion or full of religion or full of a lot of all that nonsense out there, that gets credited to Christ's account and gets taken away forever. And the life that Jesus lived is now what stands before God as your record, perfectly whole, perfectly clean. Paul's going to tell us that to the Galatians, he says, your sin record was nailed to the cross, put to death, gone, done, forever. You no longer have that against you. But, but some of us have often thought, well, I've got to become a Christian so I get right with God so I don't go to hell when I die. That's a big part of the story, but that's not the story. The whole story, because he rose again with real power for new life for you. This is the idea that you can't change yourself. Here's the what's next story. That's the fifth question there is what's next? What's next is grace. What's next is the grace that says, I'm gonna, well, let me just read the verses for you and then we'll. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, People begged him to speak about these things again the next week. They were like fascinated with this idea that religion can't make it right with God. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, Gentiles, followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to, underline this last phrase in your Bibles, continue to rely on the grace of God. I want to encourage some of you today who are not yet followers of Christ, who are not yet Christians, to today say, yes, I believe Bible says if you place your faith in Jesus, you become a Christian. You, your, your record is cleaned up, and now you're right with God. And some of you are going, well, what does it mean to have faith? Here's, here's what faith is. Look right at me. All faith is is saying that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago counts for me today. He forgave my sin. He cleared the record. I believe that. I don't get it all the way. Guys, I've been a Christian now for a lot of years. There's still stuff in here that I don't get. That doesn't make sense to me. But the one thing I can't escape is the Son of God came into the world, claimed to be God, died on a cross, and rose again 
with forgiveness for me. That's the offer he makes to you. Your, your record can be clean and forgiven. But he's going to tell us sometimes, too, it's so easy to veer off into something else. You have this conversion moment. Some of you need to become Christians today and say yes, yes to Jesus. I'm talking about it in a second. But we sometimes we can start with God and start with grace and then veer off into something else or someone else. Find a girl or a guy or money or power or success. He says, ah, stay with grace. Stay with the grace of God. And then some of us, because you've listened to foolish pastors like me who didn't know any better at the time, in my effort to try to compel you to obey Christ and follow Christ better, especially after describing the gruesome crucifixion or showing the film Passion of Christ, we will say things like this. Jesus died for you. Can't you live for him? And that's a load of nonsense, guys. Because here's what I want to tell you today. The Christian life, being a Christian, living the Christian life is impossible for you. It's impossible for, to, for you to make yourself a Christian, and it's impossible for you to live the Christian life. That's why the resurrection is so important. Paul's going to tell us the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is now the spirit that indwells you, and he's going to change you. And he's going to change you from the inside out. Jesus did not come to change how you live. He came to change how you want to live. He came to change the desires of your heart. And no religion in the world, no amount, I don't care if you're a firstborn, compliant, self-disciplined kind of person, you can't do this on your own. You'll get exhausted and wear out until you go, I'm just going to rely on the grace of God. And let the grace of God change and shape everything about me. So today, if you're not yet a Christian, not yet a follower of Christ, in a minute, we're going to lower the lights down here. The band will be up here. We're going to do some songs together. Just take some time with Jesus. And so I don't get it all maybe yet, or I'd actually, you know what? Some of you going, I finally get it. I finally get it. I'm saying yes today. Take a moment there and just close the deal with God. Don't worry about the right words and saying it all right. Just Close the deal with God. On that connection card, you can let me know about that. There's a little box there to check off. Our prayer team will be at the back of the house. You can go talk to them and pray with them about this. I want to close that deal, that thing that Jesus, Steve's talking about, about Jesus and becoming a Christian. I'm in. I want to close the deal with that today. The band's going to come up right now. As the band comes up, curious now to talk to you that are already followers of Christ, that are Christians. Don't look at them. Look at me. Who's the one more person that God wants to reach through you? We talked about this already a bit today. Who are people around you that are like you? And, and in your uh, small group questions this week, one of those things is start praying for that person by name. And then looking for opportunities to invite them. To just say, do, you know, because the first, I would love for you to sit down with people and be able to explain the gospel to them. And saying that you're a sinner and Jesus lived and died in your place and all that kind of stuff. The first disciples of Jesus, you know what they did? They weren't even Christians yet. They were disciples, followers of Jesus. They didn't know anything yet other than to say, just come and see. You should come and check this out. Any of you fools can do that. Any of you. Any of us can do that. So who's that one more person that God wants to use you to reach? Somebody at the gym, somebody at the barista, the people at the coffee place you go, somebody in the van pool, whatever that's going to be, just listen to what God says and watch what God does.
to use you to do that. I'm not done yet. Don't start singing. Our kids' men team are already doing this. These are these little door hanger things that our kids are taking home. If you have kids in our kids' men, they're taking this home. Little door hangers to invite their friends at church, at school, friends in the neighborhood to come check out Jesus. Just says, hey, you've been invited to Cross Point Church by, and their little name goes on there. How exciting is that going to be for our kids? See it happen. How exciting for you to see someone who you just say, hey, come check it out. Come and see. We're going to sing some songs today about this euangelion, this good news, this gospel fantastic good news about the Son of God who lived and died and rose again, who's Lord and Savior. So sing. Sing like you mean it for crying out loud. We're going to give you a chance to come and celebrate the death of Christ. He told us as frequently as we can to come and eat bread and drink juice. That's the symbol of his body and blood given for us. This is the the thing, this is the central part of what we're all about here at Cross Point. The good news of Jesus, that the Son of God, Jesus, lived and died in our place for our sin. And he rose again with real power for new life. And so Jesus, today as we sing, as we pray, God, as we do some business with you right now, whatever that is, we're just listening. We want to hear from you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.